Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Star Wars Lads podcast. Uh, if you haven't noticed, or if you're listening to audio version, we're on camera this week. So, uh, yeah, this is what it looked like. I'm Liam. I'm joined today by Sonic. And, uh, yeah, we've got a big show for you guys. We're definitely moving further into the future. We're going to keep trying to grow and expand and just keep giving you guys more and more content as we move into the Bad Batch and further High Republic stuff as we keep going and Star Wars keeps getting bigger and bigger this summer. So we decided to try it out and let's uh, we're going to try on camera stuff. So which hopefully will segment into actual live shows for you all. So let us know if you want to hear that in the comments below. But today we've got a really big show for you planned. Uh, we have three things we're going to talk about. First, I finally finished Theron Ascendancy Greater Good. So I'll be giving you my thoughts on that first off, right off the bat. And then we'll be moving on to the new Marvel book, Star Wars, The High Republic, number five. That is the new Kevin Scott issue of the High Republic comic from Marvel. And then we'll be getting into the episode of The Bad Batch that came out this morning, last night, however you see it. So to start us off, let's get into Thrawn Ascendancy Greater Good. So I'm the only one that read this, so I'm going to start us off with this book what did i think well it's not as good as the original and in fact it might be my least favorite of the five thrawn books i think it's it's still very very good don't get me wrong it's timothy's on you know you can't really go wrong with anything he's written in star wars but it is just kind of meandering it kind of falls into that second book second act structure type of filler plot point you know conundrum of like how do we move forward with especially with thrawn how do we move forward with a character who's so gifted who's so unbeatable and as someone who's just like really not able to be toppled by anyone and he's never really been beaten by anything unless he can't and i and i've heard timothy zahn say that as well with when in interviews that the only way thrawn gets beaten is if he beats if he gets beaten by something that's completely unpredictable that nobody could possibly come up with and so this book kind of sidelines thrawn a little bit um, i'm not going to get into spoilers or give any spoilers away but i was a little disappointed with how little thrawn there is in this he starts off and he's prominent in the first quarter of the book i would say maybe third of the book but then after we get into a lot of the other families uh some smaller families and the Thron the chist ascendancy if you haven't read the first book uh basically and what this graphic shows you is there are nine ruling families of the chist ascendancy and it's been as little as eight it's been as many as 12 and they're constantly in flux certain it's kind of based on on political power and wealth and stuff like that as you're rising through the ranks of the Chist Ascendancy. And so there's 40 total families that can become one of the nine great families. And so they're all constantly fighting and vying for that spot to be able to become a great family. And so this book is very much heavy in, in terms of the politics of other smaller families. There's the Zoblack, who's the main one that we follow in this book, who have a, a lot of characters who are trying to create history for their families and, and move their family from low 
uh, lower tier to back into the the elite, the um, high up, the nine families. So it does get, in my opinion, kind of muddled with with a lot of detail of of these other families that you know I didn't necessarily care about or go into the book caring about. By the end, I did care about them and I cared about the the struggle of certain characters. Uh, Lakinda is a good one. A new character from this book in particular from the last one but the one thing i would say that i really enjoy about the throne ascendancy books is they really don't feel like star wars at all and you know that might sound weird but it's i mean azan has gotten complete creative license to just basically build his entire own universe inside of inside of the star wars canon and so he takes elements from old books like outbound flight and, and other Thrawn uh, books from legends and stuff. But he, he really just goes in and is able to do pretty much anything he wants because almost none of these aliens that are in this book, almost none of the characters ever interact with anyone we know. Um, and so in order to, to kind of expand the universe and stuff, as I said, he, he does sideline Thrawn. And he sidelines Aralani and other characters we know from the other books that are, you know, more so our leads in the past. And they are kind of not anymore. They're, they're much more on the side. And for me personally, that was a little disappointing because I, I'm not kidding. There's, there's times when you go three, four, five chapters without even seeing Thrawn in the book. And so as a Chiss ascendancy book, if you're really interested in expanding the lore, it's definitely, you know, very expansive and you learn a lot of new things and it, and it's, it's dense. Like it's, it's almost like Lord of the Rings level dense with names and, and how each name has a prefix that's very similar. So it's hard to keep track of all the characters because they all start with the same name in the certain families. So know, outside of Thrawn and Arlani and characters that we've, uh, Samakro and, and, uh, Chila, or I mean, uh, not Chiri and, um, Thalius there's certain characters that are new that are all from the same families that are just kind of like, they're very, very hard to distinguish between because they all start with the same letters. So you really have to focus and you really have to kind of almost take notes and, and uh, be very much so hyper intense on, on all the details because Zahn really gets into that. But that being said, I sound like I'm, I'm complaining about this book more so than I actually am. It is, it's still a good book. It's still Thrawn. It's still when it, when it's good in in the climax, when it's at its peak, it's still really, really entertaining. It's really, really fun. And so I, I would recommend this if you have been into all the Thrawn books. I mean, obviously now this is the fifth one. You don't technically have to read the original Thrawn trilogy in canon, uh, Thrawn, Thrawn alliances and Thrawn trees. And you don't have to read those to get into these Thrawn ascendancy books, but you absolutely have to read chaos rising in order to get into this one. So yes, I would say if you're looking for something really different, if you've been into star Wars, but you haven't, you're like, oh, I'm kind of tired of the same old types of characters, the same old like scoundrel characters or the same old Jedi type characters. And you're looking for something really, really different. This is definitely worth your time. I would say if you, but if you read Chaos Rising and you don't like it, you're probably not going to like this because it gets even deeper into the, the Chiss mythology and really trying to expand all of that and, and um, 
and just move us further into the future. But I do think we've kind of set up for a good a good last book, unless our evil does come out come out this November or October, I believe. So we're getting the end of this pretty soon this year. So I would say if you haven't read this and you're interested, read Chaos Rising. And if you don't like that, don't waste your time with greater good. But if you do like that, definitely keep going because I do think we're set up for a pretty good finale. Uh, but let's move on to the High Republic number five. Um, Sonic, do you want to start us off with that since I uh, kind of rambled on there for a little bit? No worries. Yeah. Um, High Republic number five, obviously, if you've been watching or listening to anything from the Star Wars lads, it is probably one of their bigger chunks of canon material that we've covered. And I mean, look, as a comic, I think it's really well done. Um, the art style throughout the whole series is great and i like the characters quite a bit i like how fluid and connected it is to so many of the different books that we've seen you know we see avar chris from light of the jedi um we get skier is also mentioned there and he's probably one of the bigger characters here this uh apprentice now turned jedi knight keith trennis is the star of this comic um but you know, it's really an ensemble show thus far because we also see like uh, Emery and Vern and uh, from Test Occurs as well as, you know, other Jedi that we've met in different parts of the High Republic so far. Um, and it, it's been fun. It's been exciting. We've seen the Drengear again as a big threat. Um, but this this was a bit more of like a classic Star Wars situation. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the comic can be summed up by its cover of Keeve holding a skier. That is really the climactic moment that's setting us up for issue number six. But everything that happens before that is a bit more classic Star Wars. Um, you know, you've got your lightsabers, you got your Jedi. Um, Sarek and Tarek, they are now both in fighting form again. They're connected after being one of them being infected by uh the drengear from the previous issue skier has been like fully infected but breaks free um and when we look at keeve and avar they're trying to handle everything they're trying to escape uh help the villagers out and then back on starlight beacon we've got Vern and emery and all those other jedi preoccupied with Drengear that are being studied because they're part of the huts, the dead huts flesh. Um, so that, I mean, that it, it was basically a really big chaotic, uh, comic worth of battles. Um, we've got the hut cartel, um, or something related to the hut cartel claiming dominion and ownership of the planet, um, through, uh, you know, having them be the ones to give the crop to the villagers to be planted, be farmed, whatnot. And then the Jedi are just trying to survive here, honestly. So it's just a bunch of fighting, I've got a lot of force pushes, um, a lot of discussion. Avar is really trying to be the peacemaker while still keeping things going. Um, Skier is the one who actually causes the whole conflict to really explode in this episode because... Despite him saying, look, I joined the Drengear to be the one in control 
to, you know, understand what their motivations are to then flip it on them. You know, he's a, he's just shoots out his Drengear infested arm and attacks the main hut. And that just causes the whole chaos to happen. And a big part of this whole issue is Keeve saying like, yo, my master is gone. This is not Skier anymore. Whoever's here now is not the same person. And she's trying to not only save him, but also figure out like why this was something that happened. He's, he's such a strong, powerful character. He's so non not nonchalant, but so composed about what everything that he's done throughout their apprenticeship uh, apprenticeship. And then for this infestation to just overwhelm him and the force to not be his ally. Um, I mean, that is one of her bigger questions. So as they're fighting, she's trying to get to skier, control him, get him under, get him under his uh, weight of his own actions and realize, okay, like he needs to stop and whatnot. Um, Avar and the other Jedi, you know, <laughs> they're fighting off rancors and just trying to deal with different things going on. And Avar really talks a lot with that main hut and she, I guess, knows Huttese or maybe she's using the Force to sort of translate. I wasn't quite clear on that, but um, eventually she uses her own calm to get everyone from Starlight Beacon, anywhere else that's been infected by the Drengear, um, to like make a big plea. And then she's like, I'll give you the planet if, you know, and we'll leave. And, you know, as long as we can work together. Um, but before she even says that, she's like, you can have the planet, we'll leave. And like, the Hut's like, no, I, I think we should work together. You know, because huts are slimy, powerful, rich, and evil. But once things go wrong for them, they're cowards. Um, and they work together. You know, she uses the force to throughout this whole episode, uh, comic, you know, trying to communicate, handle different things. But really, it's Keeve who uh, gets scared to, like, you know, be kind of like the back door since he's the one who's been infected. Maybe we can do Independence Day and put like a little virus onto these Drengear. And uh, basically, Skier lets down his walls um, to someone he trusts, which is Trennis. And then uh, she is able to like kind of like tell the Drengear, or at least through Skier, tell them that like, oh, their flesh is soiled. It's not good to eat, like go away, move away. And they do stop the Drengear threat across the whole galaxy at this moment. I don't know where else the Drengear activated outside of Starlight Beacon and this planet. Um, but the threat is stopped at the moment. Um, and then the whole comic ends with Keeve holding on to Skier as he looks like he's on the verge of death or like he's lost his will um, or like something's happened by doing this, um, by lowering his defenses to um, the Drengear and to Kiev at the same time. And it's interesting because as much as she's spent this whole comic trying to, you know, help out her master, figure out why he's attacking everyone, why he's acting this way, the truth is fairly tragic. Um, he has been losing the force this whole time. Like in the very first issue, when those like big bug-like creatures came and attacked them, um, 
he didn't sense them apparently. And because of that, he's been more worried and unsure of what he's doing. He's been getting more riled up. I guess he's been leaning more into his more innate uh, negative qualities of being a Trandoshan. And in a way, he was convinced that this is the way for him to continue or exist as he has been as a powerful warrior, peacekeeper, even without the force, with the Drengir being as part of him. Obviously, he regrets it, but it is, it's a genuine fear that he's been kept so hidden and has essentially caused so much of the early conflict that we've seen in these first five issues. So it, all in all, it's a really fun comic. I would say it was a little messy at parts because of just how many things are going on and how much action is there. There's this whole little aside where the villagers attack their, like, their leader, the layman guy who's been pretty rude and mean to them the whole time. It didn't warn them why their children were disappearing and then why they were dying. But, I mean, other than that, it, it was fun. It really lets the Jedi be Jedi. Uh, brings in the uh, collective into the High Republic more than just like McGoffin or something that's like an element, but not something we're going to explore. So I'm hoping we get to see a little bit more of that in the sixth issue. And yeah, I mean, fun a, a fun comic. Um, definitely mostly action. What story kind of fitted in to keep as like a connective tissue. But all in all, it gets me more excited for number six than I was when previous issues uh, were leading on to the next. So definitely one of the high marks of this early run from Marvel's High Republic. Yeah, I'm with you there. It's kind of last two issues that have come out. We kind of talked about how they feel like set up to a bigger problem. And, and issue two kind of ends with uh, a big a big plot point with the drain gear reveals like fully and and we haven't gone too far anywhere else since then and and so this being a full-on action issue really kind of felt nice to change the pace it felt nice to kind of get some some momentum with with skier's arc and with the story and and uh and it lived up to the hype for me i fully enjoyed the action in this how you got three different types of things happening at once and and you've got the Jedi fighting uh, mercenaries and the rest of the Hut cartel and and Rancors and and then on, you also got Drengear and Jedi fighting Drengear, and I I could see where you're coming from with it being a little messy. It definitely cuts back and forth a lot, um, but I I did quite enjoy the action. It is nice to get kind of that change of pace issue. Um, still still wish there was a little bit more balance, but the Marvel's High Republic book has been quite good and I think will continue to be quite good. Kevin Scott's doing a really good job writing it and he's doing a pretty strong job laying out how the arc's going. So as with most comics, I always feel like they are, are better when you read them as a trade, when you read the paperback or you read them as a hardcover or whatever and you collect them all in there together. So I, I undoubtedly this this issue will be better when you read all six of them in a row uh, because we assume that next month's issue which does 
come out at the end of June instead of um, the beginning of the month like it usually does. They push this one back a week from its usual schedule, but now the next issue is even, I think, two weeks after now. So, so I believe it comes out the 29th, which is also the same day, I think, uh, the next Kevin Scott's High Republic novel comes out, which is the next adult novel. So it obviously will probably have some type of tie-in or feature character that will end up showing up in this next issue of, of High Republic because they did that same thing with Into the Dark when Into the Dark came out. They had uh, the Dringir introduced in Into the Dark and then in the comic that same week they had Dringir show up in the comic. So they've really planned these timelines and they're doing a good job executing them. But I, I did enjoy this issue much more than I enjoyed the High Republic Adventures issue last week and, and more than I've enjoyed this book really since probably the second or third issue when those were coming out. Um, so it is kind of nice to get back into that that rhythm and, and hopefully we continue to move forward with with more balanced storytelling. And I'm, I'm interested to see how this arc ends because uh, do you think the Drengear will really just be done or do you think we get more with them? I mean, I I think the way the High Republic has been set up so far, they're like the villains. They're like the orcs. You know, they're they're gonna be a constant presence, but how they're used and just because they say they're not the ones that should be contro controlled or trifled with doesn't mean that they aren't going to be. I mean, I can see the Nile playing a big part. I could see maybe another bigger force coming play. I don't see the Sith at all. This is too high, too early in the High Republic, but you know other monsters and other uh, abominations uh, going on in the galaxy. I mean, the whole Great Disaster, to me at least, it seems like it's just a start of like potential for villainy mm -hmm. um, at this moment. And the High Republic is supposed to show that the Jedi falter; they're not quite the same. This is the peak, and now everything is going to be worse and worse um and it'll take a good while long but you know there are forces at play that are probably accelerating that decline so i can i can see them being villains for at least the first full phase uh, past that i don't know they they're, they're fun they don't get me wrong but they're really venus flytraps walking around they're not <laughs> much more than that um I'd like to see them be used in even more interesting ways. That, um, everything from Into the Dark, their whole Maxine's station situation, I thought was really uh, interesting. And you could see a lot of the iconic imagery that was presented in the book in these comics. But how much more they are outside of that situation, I think that's to be determined. Yeah, I kind of agree. They they feel like comic book villains, so it's like yeah. I, I don't know where I see them further in in like the books and stuff. But you know, with the expanded universe and like in an old legend stuff and and really just everything, we we get the weirder stuff in the books and stuff. Yeah. So these, I don't think these things would ever show up in a show or anything like that. But I think we can expect to see them show up in like maybe issue 30 or something they reappear I think. yeah recurring but not permanent and i mean no one technically knows how to defeat them quite yet 
this is probably our closest glimpse of like how to stop them. It's more like, okay, you got to get into their heads. You got to make their hive mind feel like everything is wrong about what they're doing, that there are better food and prey to go after. Um, how that's going to be handled moving forward is what interests me. Then the, the Drengear themselves, probably not as much. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. But let's move on. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Let's move on to our... We're going to... This week for you all, we usually do spoiler-filled reviews of of The Bad Batch, and we are still going to do that. But this week, we are going to do a spoiler-free review right now for like the next 5-10 minutes before we do the spoiler review. So if you are watching the full uh, video, thank you. Um, but I would say listen to this and then once you see we'll, we'll tell you when you're going to get we're going to get in the spoilers but i'm not going to show any clips or footage from the episode just in case while we talk spoiler free um, just in case you don't want to know anything and you're watching it tonight or something and you haven't had a chance to so let's talk quickly about what we just liked and didn't like about this episode not not in uh, any specific order but just um like for me i i enjoyed this episode quite a bit it's they're doing a really good job of being able to say, okay, even if we don't have something for the bad batch to do right now, we still have something relatively interesting that we can do with other things. Um, and, and so they're, they've got a good dynamic to where they're able to switch back and forth between different areas. And in this episode in particular, just a brief like synopsis, the bad batch are basically off they're stuck on a planet doing their little mission. And we also get the other side with crosshair and what's happening with the empire. So like, those are the two dynamics we have going in this episode. And so it is nice to see if the bad batch are kind of in a not more isolated story, then we can go back to something that's a little bit more boundary crossing, crossing, you know, it, it gets into that like clone wars levels of, mm -hmm. of dark and, and, intense storytelling that we came to know from the end of the like season four onward. And I really appreciated how Filoni was able to go there and that he's still able to do that. And that we're not changing this. I mean, I, we we've always kind of felt that bad batch is going to be a pretty similar show to the clone wars. We didn't think it was going to lose anything just by being on Disney plus, but they, there was still that, you know, that little tiny worry that maybe they would, and they didn't, and there's some good stuff if you haven't seen this episode there's some good stuff to look for um because it, it does have a darker tone this episode but just in general uh i thought the pacing was pretty solid some of the the way they edited the episode together i found a little questionable sometimes it was kind of jumpy um i don't there's there's a certain scene midway through that that's happening and then they kind of cut back to the bad batch and it, it was a cool cut because i didn't realize initially that they were going back to the bad batch um but it felt like well we're really not going to see what happens there and we have it, i mean it's only a 20 minute episode so it's not that big a deal but it it just felt like it kind of shifted tones too quickly that's really my only criticism of this one it doesn't not enough happens to have like any plot point criticisms but it, it also, as a kind of more filler type episode, it did give me enough to where I was like, okay, that was that satisfied me for the week, and maybe next week we'll get something more. 
Yeah, no, I'm on the same boat for everything. I think, especially with the editing, I think for the first half, it's smooth. It's great. But right when that cut that you're talking about happens, I caught it like a half second later and I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. Like nothing wrong there. It was just from, from that moment on things like I, I see why they cut it. I just don't think they had it cut it there to the next altering viewpoint. Um, like you said, this can be technically considered a filler episode. From what I've seen so far, I think the filler is just working in a much stronger way than I expected. Um, I mean, I mean, I think a good example is we should compare it to Star Wars Resistance. Um, probably the least well-respected of the Star Wars animated shows in modern times. Um, but it has this dynamic with Kaz and Tam. And Tam is a character that Kaz meets when he first lands this job as a resistance spy and she's a mechanic but by the end of season one when you know she has her own issues with jealousy and misunderstanding of what Kaz is doing because he can't reveal that he's a spy and they're finding out her boss uh knows about this and was also part of the rebellion and is still kind of helping out and all these personal issues they push her to choose the first order and season two onwards, she is part of the First Order. And it is it is a TVY7 Disney XD show. It was never going to be an amazing, deep insight into what's the First Order like? What's it like to be part of the Resistance? Are there differences? I personally really liked a lot of the season one First Order stuff when they first kind of come as like a security force. And then they come... And they're like, we have to do more and more regulations to keep your citizens on check and kind of start overwhelming the leader of this whole like Battlestar Galactica sort of ship slash base. And he himself was an Imperial before, so he kind of lets a lot of this happen. So I like the dynamic there. But going back to those two characters, that whole show from season two onwards, it's like it tries to cut back and forth. What it actually does is that it has Kaz for like 60 to 70% of the show, um, take over 80 to 90% of the episode. And that 10% is when Tam shows up, has like some silly little thing about the First Order. Some insight, um, moments here and there are good, but never like an understanding or connected tissue before she finally flips back to being one of the good people. Um, but, again, that's not a show that's really handled by Filoni. That was just more of like a just throw that out there and, you know, give kids a little bit more sequel trilogy stuff. And now that we've got Disney+, Plus, well, yeah, now we can flex a little bit. And I think the dynamic here between Crosshair and now his Imperial allegiance and loyalty versus, you know, how we see the Bad Batch, not only is it, like, split well, but... They're both compelling because the Bad Batch, you know, you kind of have that classic Disney Plus sort of thing going on where it's like, all right, we have uh, the Clone Wars. Ahsoka is her kid. We love her. We're going to cherish her. She was annoying at first, but now we love her and everything. We have Rebels. We got Ezra. He's the kid of the group. Annoying. Come to like him. Think he's underrated. Stuff like that. And the Bad Batch has it. Every, all those shows beat so far because not only is it 
Omega, as she calls herself because of her Kiwi accent. Um, not only she's like super wholesome and sweet, but she's really useful already. Um, she really does carry out a lot of different things in this episode, as short as it is, that make her part of the squad, make her part of the Bad Batch. And I will say it's nice to see that it's not like, oh, she's the Grogu of the group. She's got to be cared for. Nothing will happen to her. Like, these guys are like, well, we've never raised a kid, but she wants to be part of her squad. So might as well help her out to learn as opposed to bathing her or blowing up in each other's faces right now. And then there's that whole connective tissue back with Crosshair dealing with the Imperials. But since he's a clone, there's a whole Kaminoan influence in the story. And having Tarkin kind of join in, the Kaminoans, what Nala say, and the Prime Minister, and then Crosshair himself, that's, that's a whole, if anything, a stronger dynamic than even the Bad Batch itself because he is the sole clone focus there. Any of the other clones in that story don't really matter, at least not at this point. And then the fact that they kind of acknowledge each other, like the Bad Batch in this episode really acknowledged the loss of Crosshair in a way that's not just like, oh, he's dead to me or like, oh, we want to get him back. Right? It's more like, you know, we're all individuals as the Clone Wars emphasized. And it is kind of hard on all of us. We don't know how to deal with this. Um, we're trying. Some of us a bit more than others, but... Yeah. And I mean, as a whole, the episode really continues to build off of like all the little character quirks they have. Like Tech always keeps things to himself and assumes people to know or until they really need to know. I'm really liking Echo just being so tired of everything with this group. Like Hunter is like, you know what, I'm tired of it, but I'm the leader. Echo's just like, I didn't come back from being like a cyborg implant in some trade federation factory to become like the guy who's got to fix and patch everything up um wrecker is wholesome he's really wholesome i'm really liking the silliness that i thought was off-putting in his appearance in bad batch that made him seem like too much of like an 80s hero villain sort of complex i can see where it's coming from now and it works really well now that he's got a foil with omega um and hunter is just he's the dad they're all the uncles and they're handling that and their losses and figuring out their place in the galaxy really well. And for a filler episode, probably one of the best in Star Wars animated history, for sure. Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. It's 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 just got that that something, right? Like, it just makes you... It's You don't feel disappointed watching it. I mean, I've used this example so many times, but with Rebels, you get the, like, AP5 episodes and the Chopper episodes, yeah. and they just, like, they do nothing for you. You don't... You don't ever... You never think about them again unless you're thinking poorly about them. And, and when just... you think about them, you're like, okay, there's an element here that I have to know. But the show just assumes you watched it, which you have because you're a Star Wars fan. And if you're rewatching, you don't really care. You know at some point they get that. So Exactly. Yeah. It's just like it doesn't add anything to the universe as a whole. And I, I've kind of said this in the past about my outlook on reading books and comics for star wars and stuff and how you in, in my opinion what makes a really great star wars book is something when i read it i feel like i learn something new and i look at the, the star wars universe in a different way um, not necessarily just a good story but also it added something to the and and these episodes despite them kind of being stagnant the the bad batch themselves being 
stuck or just doing one-off missions, we still feel like we get that movement. We still get something. And we, now we can look at the time period between three and four, especially the immediate aftermath of episode three now in a different way to the point where it's like, I'll never really watch episode three and not think of the bad batch after and the immediate aftermath of Tarkin and all of that type of stuff. So that's what I really like about what the show is doing is filling those gaps with, with pertinent information. Absolutely. And I mean, the pace of the show is that the empire really is here. It's not like Republic in name is gone and it's empire name and the structure is still Republic. It's like, no, it's the empire. We don't care about previous agreements. We have our own functions. We have our own desires and they're really pushing a lot of elements quickly, not in a way that I think is like rushed, but in a way that I think is working impact wise. And I mean, I, I need to go to a technical element here, but the lighting of this whole episode, especially on Camino, like the way like the holograms bounced off of them, just the moodiness of the facilities in general, like I don't think Camino's look better. We've seen Camino in live action and I love 2002 graphics and all, but even live person computer graphics, they don't match the look of Camino in the Bad Batch. It's phenomenal. And just the way like things happened on each of the locations, the way the lighting worked with characters, how it added to the ambiance. Again, like I said, in our very first premiere episode, they're very selective with their shots. I think until that edit happens halfway through the first half of this episode, oof, I thought every shot was like not only perfect, but well chosen and things I wouldn't have really thought would have been great angles. But because the way they pieced it together it was like, wow, I'm really seeing adept to the action into the intrigue of the story even if it is technically all filler so i mean that alone made this i mean i I would say this is my favorite episode and the premiere has all that really great fun stuff of setting up everything and the second episode had awesome stuff with like a throwback to early clone wars and really the first major steps that the bad batch have to take as individuals but if a filler episode can be this good always, then the Bad Batch is really in great hands. And man, 16 episodes, it's going to be a fun ride. Yeah, it's honestly, it's it's moving fast and it's it's still exciting. We, we haven't hit that point and I, I hope it keeps going because it's, I, I was thinking by the time we got to episode three, four, five, it would start to kind of drag a bit and then they'd hit us with a big one in like six and seven and then we'd drag a little bit more but we're just going right into it i mean they're not pulling their punches we'll tell you that absolutely not and so i think that's a good uh point for us to transition into spoilers so if you're listening and you don't want to hear spoilers well thanks for watching because we're going to watch talk spoilers pretty much the rest of the video so uh come back and listen to it again when you watch the episode but if you're ready for spoilers stay tuned because we're going to talk about that right now um so now spoiler alert again um the first thing we want to talk about 
is kind of uh, what happens with Crosshair and the introduction of our first real conscripted stormtroopers. And they go on the mission to Onderon to finish basically what uh, what the Bad Batch started. And we get some really violent, uh, some dark stuff, some stuff that's reminiscent of The Force Awakens and the way the First Order is able to, you know, whip their stormtroopers into into kind of like the mind control that they use on them. They're just under that spell and able to do whatever they want. And it's we we've made mention in the past about that being really reminiscent of of the Clone Wars and the way they're able to control clones. But I mean, this was this was pretty dark and and uh so for those of you obviously you've watched it when when crosshair gives the order to execute all of uh Sagarera's people and and they all you know there's a stormtrooper that fights back which i thought was actually kind of an interesting angle i'm glad they did it because we always just see especially imperial stormtroopers who we know or we've we don't, I guess, know this for sure, but we've always assumed are not under any form of mind control or or inhibitor chip or anything like that, because otherwise, why would they just not keep using the clones? We see them do these terrible things, like kill Uncle Owen, Aunt Baru, stuff like that. I mean, this kind of, this kind of reminded me of that because we had the person with the flamethrower, but at least one of the stormtroopers stood up and was like, "No, this is wrong. We're not an execution squad. We're just supposed to get the job done." And so we're going to take him in for questioning and Crosshair shoots him and, and uh, they execute all these guys. I don't know. What'd you think of this scene? And this was easily probably my favorite part of the episode because we're really getting down that, that path of like where we're going with stormtroopers and, and what's going to be the purpose of the clones here in the future. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, I mentioned this before, um, but like the Clone Wars, because we are following the clones, we're following the Jedi, there's no real like negativity towards them. So we've seen hints. We've seen like, okay, the Separatists hate these clones. Clones hate the Separatists. Like, yeah, that's, those are elements of the show. But, you know, clone racism within the Republic is a thing. And I, I don't know where I read it, but at some point, Padme was going to be one of the senators to bring up like post-war clone rights and, you know, giving them all the rights and dignity of life that they can have. And, you know, kind of like how here in America, you know, once you're done with war, you're a veteran, like, what do you get as benefits? What are the veteran affairs like? Um, those are things that because there's so much secrecy behind the clones to start off with um i don't think the republic ever considered them and the fact that they're just there all of a sudden and they're the ones dictating things and controlling people's actions underworld top of the galaxies finest places to dine and do politics and whatever but also battlefields and everything i mean it, it makes people wary and some of that worry also leads to xenophobia and things like that um, and the fact that we just get that guy, that conscripted stormtrooper to be like, yeah, you're a clone, 
Like, why should I listen to you? I mean, they're going to put one of us in charge of anyways. All we got to do is be better than him. We got to really see why you're made commander. And, you know, I, I know Crosshair is always, he is kind of a douche of this group of the Bad Batch, but now that his chip's just been pushed and reached to like 11 out of 10, I mean, the way he just kills that guy, I you know, I thought he'd be like someone that, you know, drags it on until he's, you know, put in his place. Um, or, you know, he's kind of sort of got a redemption act. But no, <laughs> Crosser just pulls his gun on him. He's like, good soldiers follow orders. And he shoots him and kills him. And the other conscripts who are already like, you know, in the ship going to Andron, like looking at this guy and his contentiousness with Crosser, they were already like, you know, like, okay, like, we're just here because this is a better life for us. This is for the best of the best, but we're still, you know, believers of what the empire is now. And I mean, not only are they shocked to see this guy killed, the fear of what could happen to them next, because Crosshair is like, you know, this is why I'm the commander because I get things done. Right. I mean, oh, mind blowing. Um, and just to see, his helmet and how they zoom in on it while they burn up and shoot and kill the civilians who were literally like, we don't know anything about this. We were just promised transportation off world. Whew. Yeah, that was, that was dark. I'm glad we don't see it. Um, it's not shown in a way to like how pretty killed by mall after the duel, but all that buildup and all that explanation. And then to see the, uh, you know, Crosshair killed that soldier and then that whole thing to happen and then to come back and Tarkin just saying like, oh, I guess one of your conscripts is, uh, uh, what is one uh, Admiral Rampant, but I like your word. Like, man, I don't know that I've already said it. I'm enjoying this Kaminoan Tarkin Imperial and clone dynamic going on in Crosshair's story on the evil side of the story, but I didn't think they'd go that far right away. And the fact that it looks amazing only makes it even stranger and wilder. So yeah, that, that was amazing to see. Yeah, for sure. And I love the way the clones armors look, or at least one clone and the stormtroopers, they don't initially, you know, go straight into the stormtrooper armor. They've got these, these like phase two clone armors but they're painted black and green very much. So I think we're seeing the origins of the death troopers and, and how that's going to unfold. Uh, this, it was, it's just cool looking. I, I really like the way this all looks and, and I really like the politics behind all the military stuff, because as we said in the first episode, we did, we weren't expecting to get like this much politics and, and like, military infighting versus the Kaminoans and seeing how they're like reacting to the fact that they're blatantly uh, being phased out of a job and they're not like the, 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 the Imperials are not even hiding it. They're just like, yep. Uh, <laughs> now, now we're moving on to conscripted troopers and your clones are just going to be off the path, but you're going to help us do that. Um, and so the Kaminoans seen that, and uh, we'll talk about that, I guess, a little bit more 
in the future about their plan is just really fascinating to me. And I, I think when I was talking earlier about still getting nuggets of information in these episodes that could be considered filler that are, is pertinent to the Star Wars universe. I mean, this is really what I was talking about with, even though the Bad Batch don't do anything of relevance, like other than some character moments, but there's nothing of relevance with their story to, to anything that's, that should be like in the future of this show, at least with, uh, with Crosshair's side, we can cross over and be like, okay, we can sideline the Bad Batch for an episode. But let's get to see what Crosshair's doing and let's keep up with Tarkin and like make Tarkin an actual character in this show, not just a, a villain who's there because we all know him, but he's a, a genuine character. He he has uh things he's trying to do and accomplish, and we're getting to see the formations of the Empire. Like you said, it's it's this full like it's immediate transition. Everybody's trying to find their place. It's like everybody wants to make sure they're safe and that they aren't gonna lose what they um had before they're standing in the former republic and the kaminoans are right on that and um kind of looking at this at the angle from like in the mandalorian right that's five years after uh the battle of endor that's five years that's like three or four years that the the new republic has legitimately been established and people are still like have no idea which currency to use and how to do this and how to do that. And that shows you the different, like the more offhand approach of, of the uh, new Republic where they're just kind of like, well, we'll figure it out, but we don't want to pressure anybody into doing anything. And the empire's like, Nope, you need chain codes. You're going to use Imperial currency. All your contracts are forfeit. You're going to sign new contracts with the empire. We're going to use conscripted military. Now your clones are no longer helpful. We're just going to get rid of them. They're, they just mean business. They have a plan. They're going to, execute it all but i think to me what could be really fascinating for the future of, of crosshair and just clones in general is how we're seeing that they're taking they mentioned specifically about crosshair being an enhanced clone and using him and that's why he's the leader of this outfit but he is i, I could see them taking arc troopers and and clone commanders and clone captains and and other maybe not enhanced, but elite clones, commandos, and making them the leaders of these outfits and, and having them teach these humans how to be real soldiers, how to be as good as they are. And, and um, that's going to make it all the more tragic when they're basically going to end up being wiped out or, or betrayed by the Empire. And it's going to be interesting to see Crosshair grapple with that idea of like, have I gone too far to be redeemed with what I've done? But now the Empire has betrayed me I, I feel like that's going to happen towards the end so if the empire betrays him but he's also kind of gone too far to feel like he deserves forgiveness where does his art go where that's going to be interesting for the clone commanders and, and the elite clones that are still involved in the empire but it also begs the question you know what's going to happen to just the average you know clone schmo you know who's uh <laughs> who's just eating in the cafeteria doing nothing and has no job right now hey man they're these clones are excited for soup day and uh, <laughs> now they might not get soup day anymore that's that's a big loss yeah that might be reserved for the stormtroopers yeah um, what one thing i did find funny was when uh admiral rampart he's like oh it's it's obvious that our uh our regular conscripted 
uh, soldier program is so much far superior than the clone program. And we're going to show the galaxy a, a power like they've never seen before. And I was going, really? Because the, the clones can shoot a lot better than your stormtroopers did. So this obviously did not go exactly as envisioned. Um. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I think I think his idea is not terrible um, in his mind. And I can see his justification for it. Like, big thing about, like you said, the politics with Tarkin and everything is like, yo, these clones are expensive and time-consuming. Uh, like, if you're going to maintain order and really bring about all this change that you're throwing out there, they do need enforcers. Um, and like you said, the idea of clones training soldiers who are conscripted, that's probably what, you know, the hope is here for uh, the Empire, for Rampart especially. But eventually, yeah, the clones are supposed to be gone. Um, how, how, the, how that affects the Kaminoans, that's to be seen. But um, I, th I think that's a good transition point to this whole thing. Um, Project War Mantle. Um, I mean, first of all, this guy, because of his test run here with the elite squad, despite losing, uh, you know, one of these humans who is already anti-clone, which I'm pretty sure the galaxy will be in a few years. I mean, he's gotten the full blank check by Tarkin and he's gotten the promotion. He's like, all right. Handle this project war mantle. And we've seen him debate it, discuss it, analyze it, but you know, the results speak for themselves. You know, who cares if we lose a soldier? They're not money lost. You might have had to train them in a program for a month, but you didn't have to spend 10 years like the Cameron Owens did. Go ahead. Project War Mantle was on board. And like you said with the nugget stuff, I mean it's wonderful how connected canon is i know we made a big deal about kanan's origins kind of being shunted out from the comic version and the new version takes a lot of the same elements but does it differently and throws in the bad batch and how that works now you know it a lot of it is still to be determined i would say we'd have to trust anything that comes up on visual form on screen is more valuable than comic in at least the canon of today, kind of like how old canon is. But I still think for the most part, it is still going to be far more interconnected and useful to follow and be invested in. And that's a small nugget, Project War Mantle from 2016 in Rogue One. I believe it's when Jin is in Scarif's uh, whole library of like projects and things to look for project stardust and she's like, listing off a bunch of different things i think she lists off like dark saber and hyperspace some other tracking hyperspace tracking which we see unfold literally the next year in the last jedi and she also mentions project war mantle so not it's not only cool to see that things are connected but that they're also fleshed out in a different medium it doesn't necessarily have to be a movie that deals with it but you know a show at least giving like two or three episodes that's great and i mean i, I don't know i want to hear your thoughts do you think project war mantle is a thing that's going to be big moving forward into the show or do you think 
that it's more of like a one-off thing that we're going to see mentioned here and there, but maybe not so directly as we had in this episode. That's a good question because the the way I took it is they leave you off with kind of like, well, Project War Mantle seems like it is basically the Stormtrooper program and, and this is how we're moving forward. But it also is, that feels like kind of underwhelming, right? Like we've already heard that they're going to get conscripted Stormtroopers. So why do we need a whole project named after it? I, I think... I think it's something that is going to be recurring through this show. I feel like introducing it so early means that that maybe we, you know, keep moving forward with this and we're we're learning more and more and then we ultimately towards the end of the show see what it truly is. Um and it, it's kind of going back and forth with like the Kaminoans, they have their own plans versus Warmantle and Tarkin and Rampart's plans. And I think especially if, if Rampart is the one in charge of it, we could see Tarkin kind of be like stepping off and, and leaving the show for a little bit and moving on back to his more pressing matters that he's in charge of. And we could see Rampart as our new Imperial because we got so many new Imperials and Rebels, I'd be surprised if they didn't introduce new ones that, and Rampart is kind of like the, the new guy that's going to be fully our like our new imperial villain yeah and i mean so far at least from what we've seen in this episode i don't think he's like truly evil i think he's just naively and totally dedicated to the empire like everything to him is a statistic which is the criticism of how the Kaminoans treated the clones and how the republic treated the clones but he's taking it a step further. He's like, any average Joe, if he's got the top skills that we need, yeah, that's going to be part of our program. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I do share a bit of your worry about, like, is it just, is Project War Mantle just the Stormtrooper program? Yes and no. Um, I think Project War Mantle being on Scarif at the time where Stormtroopers are the only force left, right? I mean, I think canonically we have clones here and there still um, as part of the Empire, but they're not like, they're not the heavy hitters anymore. They're not the frontline guys, but if it's on Scarif Project War Mantle and we know that every Stormtrooper that we've seen in Rebels or maybe whenever the Kenobi show takes, basically within five years, honestly, by the time Cal Kestis is a player in the galaxy, it's just humans. I don't know if Project Warmento is really about the Stormtroopers. I think it is still in Rampart's mind. Like, yeah, it's these elite soldiers. We got to prove to you that we can spend way less and still have the same efficiency and power and control that we need as we would with a well-trained clone um how that actually pans out i think he's really naive about and that's mostly because i don't think he really views crosshair as anything more than a means to an end um i mean crosshair is a bad batch he is unique he's got a personality he's strong right now he just happens to be extremely loyal to the clones but he's definitely not loyal to these elite soldiers. So if they keep on dying under his watch, right, 
I mean, what else is there supposed to be? What's the next ramp up for Rampart? Excuse the pun, but like, like, what does he do after this small batch of four has already been reduced to three? Are we going to see 10, 15 under um, Crosshair? Are they going to work separately in different uh, companies? Kind of like how the 501st, we will follow um, the one company that Rex is really in charge of versus the whole army. Like, <laughs> will they survive under Crosshair? Will they have different methods of dealing with Crosshair? Are they going to turn against them? Like, there's there's so much of Project War Mantle that I feel implies more than the Stormtrooper program, but I think it also implies a lot of failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it, you bring up an interesting point with Rampart and like, he, whether he is going to be as evil as more traditional Imperial officers are going to be. And, and we kind of see that obviously in this episode too, with stormtroopers not really wanting to, to follow the orders that they're supposed to, where in the original trilogy, we much more see them as like anybody who's I'm told to shoot, I'm going to shoot. I think that's going to be an interesting thing to see too, is as we've already seen, as we're transitioning from Republic to Empire, which pieces of the Republic military are still going to be standing? Like, when, when does Palpatine basically say, you're too weak to be an, an Imperial officer, even if you were the high-up Republic officer? You know, there's certain people like Yaloran and stuff who are naturally good and, and are still good in pretty much everything we've seen them in, despite um, being an Imperial. But... So obviously there are going to be good Imperials or kind Imperials, but when are we going to get, like Tarkin is pretty ruthless and he's promoted because he's ruthless mm -hmm. and, and Palpatine sees that ruthlessness. When are we going to move on from like, no, the, this is wrong to no, I'm going to do anything to help the empire that I could possibly do. And I think that's going to be one of the interesting parts of war mantle. And maybe it's, it's a type of, of brainwashing, it's a type of propaganda or type of conditioning so that these troopers obey orders without uh, command, or I mean, obey every commanded order to the point where they don't need the clones anymore and they don't need the somebody who's under that that um, inhibitor chip, as well as the fact that I think I think War Mantle could be more in line with as we as I said earlier with the Death Trooper program or maybe advancement of like clone commando type stuff where we, we just get these elite elite troopers we don't we don't um really we don't get the the basic stormtroopers we're getting like the really the hardcore advanced types and that's that's what's kind of interesting is like we didn't we didn't see stormtroopers in this episode we saw like a assassin squad we saw like a covert ops squad it's not it's not just your average stormtrooper who's guarding a, a landing platform on tatooine or something you know this these guys are are legit and they're not going to just be the guys standing out there guarding the door yeah these are not the guys on the death star chasing han and chewie saying close the blast doors and then realize that they closed it and now they have to open them, all right? Like, these guys, they're talented. But if, if, we, if we got Crosshair in charge, talent doesn't mean anything to him. He knows he's better, and he is better than all of them. And because of his chip, he's 
far more ruthless than them, and he's going to show that to anybody. So, yeah, I agree. So let's uh, let's move on to the the last piece of this Camino Tarkin War Mantle, all this um, this puzzle, and and move on to what are the Kaminoans planning? Because we talked about initially with um, the first episode where we really see way more of them than we thought they would. They help uh, the Bad Batch escape and they seem to be fine with them escaping and they're fine that they took Omega. And we we kind of speculated, well, they seem to have a bigger plan in place. Well, in this episode, we get not necessarily what that plan is, but we get a lot more about that they are conniving and they're they're trying to come up with some way to work their way around the empire and still be as prominent in the galaxy as they are under the republic banner yeah i mean kaminoans if anything will always be shrouded in mystery why they're gone they're gone in the galaxy is going to be a mystery i think to some degree in bad batch where they came from how they evolved we don't really know anything other than they're tall strange alien beings who rose from the seas and became these master cloners that's really all we know about them we know that tyrannus and you know all the machinations that happened basically at the same time as the phantom menace or right after they've been players for that long in the galaxy but we also know that they're not players anymore right we know that they're not the ones pulling the strings we know even if they've never been the ones truly in charge they were still formidable they were still the ones keeping secrets they were still always a step above any clone any senator anyone questioning anything but what the way tarkin's kind of really stepped in and just the imperial presence as a whole was really pushing their agenda and not listening to the Kaminoans, they're desperate to become valuable again. Something that they've probably in their whole existence never had to question because they their research and technology and just being an extra galactic species, right? They, they're a rare commodity. And you would think a rare com- commodity, it's hard to replace would you know, be on the top of things that the empire keeps from the Republic, but clearly they're not. Um, But they do mention that, you know, we need to continue your experiments, Nalase, and we need you to make a superior clone, one that's too formidable, that cannot be, you know, touched with or dealt with. And I, I mean, I think that's interesting because so far it seems like it's implying like, okay, we need to get, someone like the bad batch back in here another elite another genetically defective slash superior clone um that really seems like it's omega right now um or just anyone related to her or in her life at this moment but i think there's also other possibilities because the biggest thing that they mention is the Django fett uh dna is degrading it's it's not good anymore and if you look back at legends and all that like when i remember reading something about how palpatine like the last year of the war 
he created his own clones off of on a moon next to Coruscant and they used like flash training and they were just rapidly grown and aged and yeah they're technically clones but they were inferior because the genetic material was weaker they weren't trained as well this and that but if they really want the best of the best i mean the closest thing to that is an untouched boba fett in my opinion i think i think no matter what we're going to see him in this story i think it'll be very interesting to see really his commitment to the empire kind of happen um we see boba in the mandalorian he's really he's an elite warrior still he's grumpy he's still that ruthless killer but you know he's personable he's really attached to his father's code once more he shows off his own chain code showing that his armor's been passed down to him that he's son of boba you know he is a mandalorian he's all these different things but we've also seen him in episode two as this little kid who was given to um to Django untouched for him to train and that's mostly because <laughs> Django, in a way, really wanted to prove that, you know, these clones, they might be my kids, but they're not really the best of what I can offer. They're not my legacy, despite getting a ridiculous sum of money. So maybe he can come in that way. And everything in the original trilogy version of Boba versus his Clone Wars versus his Mandalorian version, he's a monster. He's ruthless. He's, he's kind of dead inside. You know, it's all about the money. It's all about the bounty. Um, well, it's all about fear. So I, I could really see him being pulled into this Kaminoan Imperial sort of situation because he's the closest thing other than Omega, um, other than the superior clones that they've already been working on. That's Django, all in all. Um, do I think that he is the one that they're going for? No, that's more me wishful thinking. But... I, I think, I don't know. I, I want to hear your take on this. Um, do you think, have you, like, do you think that this program to create this superior clone is going to result in something more like the Null Troopers? Like, we've already seen the Bad Batch, you know, they don't follow orders, but they still get the job done. Mm-hmm. But when you look at Legends with Null Troopers, they just refused to, like, fight anymore. They were, they wanted to be Mandalorian. They wanted to be true warriors they didn't want to be part of any sort of machine they wanted to be themselves and when they fought yeah they're extremely talented but they were also like completely messed up in the mind so i think maybe something like null troopers plus that flash training of sorts that you know uh palpatine does in legends with the later stage clones i think something like that might be on the way from the kaminoans at least right now i don't think an uprising of sorts like in Battlefront 2 is the next step. But I can see them really be strained to do something because their desperation is growing. Mm-hmm. And out of that, I think they might create something sort of like a Null Trooper Flash clone that's terrible in all the worst ways for them. Yeah, I I could very much see that. And I think when I was watching the episode 2, it, it's really, really vague who they're talking about. I almost feel like they... Do they say he, like we need him or something like that? I feel like they, 
they do. I, I, I don't remember. I think that when because, I want to check that out, but yeah. Because it's, it's set up for you to think, oh, they're talking about they need to get Omega back, but they let Omega go. So there's, I don't think that's it. I could very much see the Noel Trooper thing coming into play. I think they could be the architects of their own downfall or at least speed up their downfall. The Kaminoans, um, faster than it would be if they just worked the empire because they're going to fall out they've already fallen out of favor yeah and they know that lama su is he's he's planning he's trying to manipulate the situation <clears throat> it is fun to see him trying to counteract tarkin's genius and like they're really just battling for who's going to come out on top um boba fett i agree i think unless they which I really, I don't want this to happen unless they reveal that they put something special in Boba Fett because he was unaltered. And so he uh, might adapt a certain type of experimentation more because he's really just a regular person. But I, I really wouldn't want to see anything. I wouldn't want them to change any more Boba Fett, like anything more about him. We already now have him confirmed to be Mandalorian or Jango Fett confirmed to be Mandalorian again. I wouldn't want to see any like, like anything. Uh, yeah, Boba. I just want him to be the closest thing to Django. That's yeah. all, and I I want to see the machinations affect him and this whole era change him into that mindless killer that it really becomes during the Empire's reign. But right. yeah, how the Kaminoans affect him, you know, what things stir that up in him. I don't want it to be kind of like, oh, because of the situation, they implant something or something's activated. No, I think the whole point is that he's special because of Django, because of that blood that's been trained by that same blood. Nothing more. Right. He's a true fet. He's like has the yeah. Mandalorian heritage and he yeah. he's learned everything he, he could from his father and he's been on his own since he was young. And the clones are, you know, despite them not really having the best life they've never been on their own they've got a built-in family and boba's just by himself and, and fending for himself and living with bounty hunters and, and learning exactly. from these people yeah he, the worst people but yeah. thus far he's had he's made questionable choices but he's literally like a kid out of juvie right who doesn't know better mm -hmm. he, he doesn't seem like at this point in his life a monster seems like a guy just trying to follow his father's legacy to earn revenge and when revenge fails him to just be good at his job yeah right he just it, it would be it'd be interesting if they brought him in the show because i could see lama sue being like oh yeah we you know we know where you are you're one of our clones we're tracking you yeah. uh, but also i feel like he would be kind of against joining them i know it, but how old would he be at this point probably about 18 or 20 yeah he was 10. i want to say he was i want to say he was 10 so he might just be 14 or 15 really at this point yeah well because yeah because yeah, he's in his early he he shows up in season four again with with dengar and yeah yeah and the uh, unreleased yeah and the unreleased arcs would have shown him finally with the green armor mm-hmm but age yeah, so he and he doesn't he doesn't age double speed does he right? right he's no he's just basic yeah basic, so regular. at best 15 
Yeah. So. So that'd be interesting yeah. to see how they, they would do that. Um, but I, I think it is. I think you're on with. It's a strong possibility he shows up. Obviously, Mandalorians, the Mandalorian, all all the Mandalorian stuff right now is huge for Disney. It's basically the face of Star Wars right now for them. Yeah. And the fact that Boba Fett's show is the next Star Wars show that comes out. Outside of, I think we're getting uh, visions. But visions. Other than that, yeah. It's the next linear story that we're getting from disney so if, if boba fett showed up it would make sense and maybe maybe something is mentioned to where he is uh it's relevant to future clone appearances in the mandalorian something like that you know it you never know they they could cross over in a lot of different ways but it is going to be fascinating to see who they're talking about i know we we were talking about this earlier. A lot of people online are, are calling back like star killer and old legends characters who were clones. They're not clones of Django Fett, but they were clones to talk about. Maybe they're trying to create some, some like super force sensitive ultra powered being. But if, if we are right. And, and most people who are speculating that Omega is a clone, everybody who's speculating Omega's clones, right. Or I mean, a, I mean, not a clone, a force sensitive clone. If they're all right, Omega's ability, like the the way they would, the technology they would have to use the force and and like manipulate the force in another being is so limited and so so like they small. don't have they yeah would, they don't have Sith alchemy either right they don't right, this they is don't. not like Exegol right yeah it's not it's not Exegol it's not like dark side magic or anything that's being used for these clones like they they really seem. And as we've seen with the Mandalorian, like they're really in the early stages of figuring out how to combine the force, the midichlorians and cloning. And so I I think, especially if you take like a Jango Fett clone, someone who's not force sensitive at all, there's going to be strong limits to what they can do. It's not, I don't think you're going to see a clone that's able to become as powerful as someone like Starkiller from legends or all that, like, like canon is as much more grounded than legends has been. And so I don't, I just don't see that place for when, you know, for all those people who are theorizing that type of stuff to me, it would, it would kind of be mind boggling if they went there. Oh, you're muted. Uh, I, I think uh, something to mention is that now let's say the way it's been described is it's as an experiment and like the prime minister is like you're we need to put everything into your experiments and if the bad batch are experiments and the only ones who have survived thus far or what's left of them and omega is part of that next stage experiments i don't think she's i don't think nala say has perfected anything by any means and i don't think i i still i'm still sticking with the idea that nalase unintentionally created omega in this to be force sensitive i don't think it was her said desire i think maybe she was trying to take all these little skills and quirks and enhancements that the bad batch have and they put them into one person and unintentionally maybe there's a force 
willed itself into her body. I don't think we can say anything more than that right now. I don't I don't think I don't think anything that we see 50 something years later with Palpatine I don't think any of that technology is ready, but I think a lot of that technology comes from the Kaminoans. Um, I could totally see them being ravaged and become like they, I could see them become a sort of like a Japan, an Imperial Japan of the empire uh, counterpart where once they do something against the empire's wishes, once they're, work on the experiments doesn't create a formidable clone or one that's good enough for uh to beat out rampart's own operation and then if there is an uprising like i can totally see them just be destroyed all the technology stripped to them i could see them be forced back into being sort of like a seafaring people again like you know a stage back like whatever the equivalent of a nuclear fallout is for the kaminoans I could see the empire doing something like that as a message, as a warning that all technology is the empire's technology. And if it doesn't fall under what we want, get out. That talking about that kind of brought up something, and this is not really something we planned to talk about, but it, I, I was just thinking about it. Um, Dr. Pershing and his Kaminoan patch that he has, you yeah. know, like, like with Grogu, just like all this stuff, clone experimentations and, and all these things we're talking about, like there has to be, I mean, there's going to be some kind of connection. He's still around and like, we see the recording of him in, in season two of Mandalorian, you know, right. it's at some point are the Imperials going to basically, like you just said, say, well, we don't need the actual Kaminoans. But we have these guys who learned everything that they know, so they're going to basically be the Kaminoans now. Exactly, right? Like, we don't need the species, but we have their everything that allowed them to become the species. Yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. so we, we can get rid of them and be... We're now... Uh, we're now the new cloners. It's just, like, the, yeah, we're, we're the Kaminoan branch of technology fear. Yeah, exactly. And none of it takes place in the galaxy because the Rishi Maze is outside of the Star Wars galaxy. So less eyes. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how this that all ties up because yeah. because it just it can't be understated how much Disney is trying to connect everything and and the way they're bringing Clone Wars and everything into Mandalorian and. And now Filoni's working in both live action and anim animated. And he's just like, and the first name you see when you see this is Dave Filoni every single time when you see the credits. And so it, it's very much so similar to how when the, in the original Clone Wars, the first name you saw was George Lucas, because even though he didn't write the episodes or direct the episodes, most of those episodes were his ideas. And so I think now we're kind of seeing that same thing where it's like, like, um and not to not to interrupt here but today is george lucas's birthday today is the creator's birthday so hey man we're talking about star wars because of you almost 50 years on and it's it's only getting crazier um but i mean thank you right for everything for letting us be part of this yeah absolutely
thank the maker thank the maker yeah yeah well happy birthday george um but let's yeah let's move into our final thing we were going to talk about which as you can tell uh if you're still watching is we haven't talked about the bad batch at all we've been talking about uh crosshair i guess who's part of the bad formerly part of the bad batch and the kaminoans and the imperials and that was definitely the more intriguing part of this episode but we haven't talked about the bad batch and they are still in this episode so let's talk a little bit about them they have a pretty minor mission they crash land on the planet their one of their power supplies or something is stolen by a, a creature i think they call they call it a moon a moon dragon or moon something um anyway it takes it it's, it seems to be feeding on electricity or some type of radiation and so it steals the power source and and hunter and omega have to go get it back but and, and eventually they do and and uh um so hunter and omega they're they're tracking it down and everybody else is just trying to repair the ship and and it nothing too eventful happens you get a little bit more omega hunter connection you get her learn we get to see that she is capable of handling herself and that she can figure out how to defeat this thing without shooting it without blasting it she's able to overcome her fears and, and very very traditional star wars stuff um but kind of the big thing that it keeps reoccurring in this episode is the fact that wrecker has a headache when after they crash and he does i, I went back and watched the scene he does hit his head but it's like it's mentioned way too many times for it to just be i hit my head and now it's hurting so what do we think do we think wrecker's ship is activating uh i think the yeah i think his head definitely was hit in the same spot as his brain chip he's holding it like any clone we've seen like tup or fives or rex anyone right but this is a guy who's like the behemoth of the group. He's the big brawler. He, a little bump on his head is not supposed to aggravate him this much. I mean, if you look at his character sign, his whole left side of his face, his eyes looks like it's fogged up. He's got like burn marks and everything. He's gotten he, shot twice in the show. So he's gotten shot too. twice, exactly, right? This is not. This is not something that should affect him greatly but it is um and tech has instead of helping echo with you know keeping their ship alive as they're fleeing salukamai um he's like nope i i will once i you know get this little scanner to detect their brain chips working and like to figure out like what to what effect they're working you know what are they doing to us they also have omega right now she's seems a little informed about this whole thing um even this whole episode when she's talking to hunter when they're on their little mission together uh to recover the little power converter she's like you know it's not really his fault it's the chip and he's like yeah i'm not mad at him i'm mad at myself um yeah i i don't think anything terrible will happen to wrecker Terrible in the sense that I don't think he's going to have a crosshair sort of situation. 
Um, I don't think like Order 66 or anything will be activated. Um, or good soldiers follow orders. I don't, I don't think that'll happen. He might have a little bit of it, like he might start saying it, but like the rest of them be like, "Oh no, just shut up, man!" Like, what are, what are you talking about? Like, you're saying the same thing as Crosser. Um, I think this does bring back the element of like, "Hey, we need to figure out what exactly these chips are doing," and that brings in Rex being one of the few clones who's actually removed his chip. Um, the fact that Tech knows so much about like how the chips there, Order 66, all this and that, also makes me think that he might be aware of Fives um, and Fives' demise. So maybe he's also aware of that file that Rex has accessed um, and that pushes them to go to Rex. As for what happens to Wrecker, I, the way, because there's also genetically different too and been enhanced in different ways, I think, I don't think the chip is necessarily going to make him follow orders. I think if anything, it might harm him, right? Like it might cause debilitating headaches, it might cause motor function or something to seize or become weaker. I, I think what after seeing how nice he's been to Omega and already seeing how messed up Crosser is, seeing him, seeing Wrecker become also evil and messed up might feel a little repetitive. Obviously, he's like the big guy; he'll probably punch things and all that, so it's going to be a little different. But to show that, like, you know, these chips, not only are they capable of changing us, but if they go wrong, they are capable, as Palpatine try to kind of talk it off, like, they are capable of going bad and harming us. It could also be another reason why, going back to Operation War Mantle, the clones might start suffering. Maybe these chips weren't intended to continue working after the order has been put in place. So, you know, maybe be degrades and changes color like Tups did once it's activated. So what does that do to their brain chemistry, their functions? I'm hoping Wreckers is more like it's a sad sort of thing that starts to happen to him unless they get the chip out. And that's what makes them find out more about fires and then get to Rex. I would be heartbroken if after he's set up this nice little cozy cabin for um, Omega that he just goes crazy and mad. I it would It would feel like it'd feel limiting too. I, I want I want there to be more than one reason for the chip to be a bad thing. Why the first order doesn't put chips into their kids that they conscript and brainwash, like things like that. Um, yeah, I, I think those are my thoughts. It's, it's a little mixed on what exactly is going to happen. I think there's, this is what's going to drive us towards Rex a little bit more, maybe not right away again, but you know, I think we're going to start seeing chips fail after their use. Those are good points. I didn't really think about that initially with a reason to find Rex, um, mainly based on our, our last discussion last week when we were kind of speculating that maybe he finds them. But that would that would make a lot of sense if, if Wrecker is debilitated or just bedridden you know, or or just a little more aggressive than he usually is, something like that, because he is he does have this heart of gold, and he is very much so kind of the the lovable goofball of the group. But he, as his name implies, is the one who likes to blow things up and destroy things. So maybe he's just a little bit more aggressive towards them. Maybe he's a little bit more 
aggressive towards his enemies. He's less willing to follow Hunter's orders or something like that, you know, or maybe they, they get, see something that kind of triggers a, a, a breakdown. And like, yeah. And it could just be a mix of everything. It could just be that we don't, he's like the loose cannon. We don't know how he's going to react given daytime moment. And that's being the heavy of the group of a team on the run. That's not at all uh, helpful. No, yeah, I, I completely agree. So I think I, I would agree with you. I don't I don't think we're getting it would be it would be a little far to push it to crosshair level, you know, because we've already gotten that. But it would be interesting if like slowly each member is kind of like more and more unpredictable. Mm. But but Rex is able to like reunite them you know kind of like I, I could see that being rex's role he, he shows up in an episode maybe he gets all their chips out and they're like we got to get crosshair back let's get him and then rex could save him at the end of the season we could i could see all of that happening for sure it's it's kind of like it's kind of one of those seeds that they by placing it here in this episode they don't have to acknowledge it next episode they don't have to acknowledge it in the next three episodes but then in a few episodes they could be like oh yeah you remember wrecker having the headache well now that's going to turn into this big mid-season event um, that's going to really change the way the show has been going i could see that just kind of being a seed that's laid for future purposes that might right. not get resolved next episode or right yeah after but yeah, that's uh, that's kind of it for the Bad Batch. There's not much they did in this episode. They were fun to watch, but yeah, they really were there. There, this was not a mission that was supposed to happen to them. No. They, their replacements, as the title implies, are having their own troubles and shenanigans and dark stuff happen, and then. You know, their replacement is, oh, we need to change the power converter, basically. And Omega is a replacement for a crosshair. Not really. Replacements as in clones are replaceable. There's there's a lot of ways this title works. But as far as the Bad Batch doing anything, they're just really chasing a dog that's got something in their mouth that they're not supposed to have. That's That's really what this whole plot line for them ends up being. Yeah, pretty much. So with that, uh, I think that's going to do it for our discussion with the Bad Batch Episode 3, Replacements. Let's, uh, let's, so let's go into a final segment that we have not done for quite a long time. Um, but since this is our first episode on camera, it's kind of like another way to continue to get to know us as we move further with the show and, and further with um trying to establish, you know, what it's going to be in the formats that we're going to have. So let's go back to uh, the segment that we used to do, which is, you know, other things we're, we're uh, doing right now outside of Star Wars, because there, there are other things, you know, we aren't Star Wars 24 seven. So, we try to be, but it's, it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always in there, you know, it's there. It's there. Yeah. It's, it's there. It's, it's a part of my daily life it's just not there 24 7 yeah uh, but yeah what have you been up to that's uh, um 
Yeah, I mean, I guess since the last time we've done this, I'm kind of doing like outdoor movie nights. Got like a nice little projector set up. So I have a couple friends over in my backyard. I curate a film, then I'm going to vote on them, and lowest score gets to be the film chosen. Um, it's pretty fun. We've seen some things like uh, Memories of Murder uh, from. Bong Joon-ho, you know, the director of Parasite. We've seen Days of Heaven um, by Terrence Malick. We've seen The Princess Bride. Um, we've seen a lot of different films. It's been pretty fun. Probably going to do it for the rest of summer. Um, probably might throw in a Star Wars screening at some point just to get the lads into it as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess for me personally, I've – I've been watching like shows here and there. Um, since the last time we were doing this, I think the last show I finished was Cowboy Bebop as an anime. Um, and now I'm watching Demon Slayer on recommendation because the movie's in out in theaters right now. And apparently the movie is like a whole different level than the show, despite the show being like the most popular thing right now in Japan. So yeah, I'm going to watch that hopefully sometime next week once I finish this series. Um, watching this Canadian TV show called Kim's Convenience. Um, one of the – Paul, I don't know how to say his Korean name, but um, Carson Teva from uh, The Mandalorian, he's one of the main characters. He plays Appa, which is the dad of the family there. Pretty fun comedy. Um, being an Asian-Canadian, Korean-Canadian specifically perspective, it's very interesting. Um Definitely not something I'd see done quite as well on like network TV here. So it's been fun watching that on Netflix. I heard the season five ended because um, the creator was just like, I'm done. I don't want to continue this. Um, so I, I heard like, it's like a bit of like a rushed ending, but it is completed. Um, so I'm watching that. I think I'm on somewhere on season three. Um, I'm also watching as always, just anything MCU-related when it comes out. So Falcon and Winter Soldier was pretty good. Um, wasn't amazing. I liked it a bit more than WandaVision just because it was consistently good to great versus where I felt like, in retrospect, like WandaVision's first two episodes could have just been one episode. You could have put a little bit more time with the side characters and stuff like that. Um, you could say the same thing about the villains in – Falcon and Winter Soldier, they had a whole plot point cut out apparently or something. But it was fun. It's, you know, first time Marvel since Endgame, really. So those two shows have been great. Looking forward to Loki. Um, looking forward to Black Widow in theaters. Um, we saw our first look at Eternals, which got me pretty excited. Um, yeah, and then other than that, um, I'm trying to get into, like, Dungeons and Dragons right now. So I've been getting into fantasy. So I watched... Finally, The Lord of the Rings, all the extended versions, which are so long, but so worth it. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's mostly because I just wanted to understand basic fantasy. I only read like Harry Potter and a couple other small series here and there, like the Aragon series, like elementary and middle school. So it's been a while since it's been in fantasy because Star Wars and sci-fi have always been a bit more interesting for me. Um, but I haven't picked up Dune in a while and I was like, well, I'm... Lord of the Rings was awesome, so maybe I should continue that. So I found out about Amazon doing a Lord of the Rings middle-age show set in the second age. 
And they also are doing the Wheel of Time series, which is considered like the modern day equivalent of Tolkien's style and understanding and explanation of the fantasy genre. So I've picked up the very first book of the Wheel of Time, The Eye of the World. It's a 15 book series. Um, one of them is a prequel, but I'm going to try to read all of them before the show starts as long. And also all six Dune books. So I'm going to have a packed summer there, but I am full of content right now that's diverse and not just Star Wars. That's a lot of reading. Yeah. Good luck. Because, <laughs> oh man, I, I struggle to get through my 300 page Star Wars books. I can't imagine <laughs> that much reading. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've restarted Dune on and off again over like three years. Last summer, I got to like a little past halfway and I just stopped by accident and it's been like six months. So now, and because the movie also, also delayed, so I was just like, is it worth it? But now right. I'm like, you know what? All or nothing. I'm going to read this. I got D and D I got dude coming out. I, I just got to do it. And I'm going to hold that. I'll hopefully hold myself to that. Yeah. That's a, that's a good goal. I'm i I'm anxious to hear how they are. I, I mean, those are books that I'd probably will say, Oh yeah, I'll read them one day, but. I mean, hey, you're gonna get a show or a show or movie. That's good enough for you, right? Like that, yeah, that is good. Unless yeah. they have a con comic adaptation. <laughs> there you and, go. Uh, but for me, I haven't, I haven't watched too much lately. Um, I was watching, so I, I watched my first Andre Tarkovsky movie oh, last okay. week, um, which is definitely an experience. I watched Stalker. And then okay. I watched Solaris or Solaris. Yeah. They say Solaris. I, I think I kind of like that better. Um, yeah. Both were very good. They're, they're excellent movies, but they're, they're slow and they're, they're not for, for everybody. Um, Stalker has just, it's one of the most visually striking films you'll ever see. It's, it's incredible with the way they, it's sh that it's shot oh my gosh but it but the story is slow it's a lot of people just walking and nothing really happening a lot of like introspective contemplation and thinking about human existence and all that type of stuff <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, it, yeah. it can get it can get like a, a little pretentious i'm not gonna lie but just for the filmmaking alone both of them are quite impressive um what else did i, I i've been reading a lot i I have my big uh, book over there that I've been working on. I'm, I'm reading, if anybody is also interested in omnibus collecting, um, yeah, it's a bad habit. But uh, I've been reading, it's not necessarily called an omnibus, but it's called The Big Damn Sin City, and it's got every single issue of Sin, Sin City in it. Um, I think it's 1,400 pages. Ooh. And it's like this it's gigantic i would i would hold it up but uh it's over there <laughs> on my desk um yeah so i've been reading some comics that's about it like i don't know i've, I've been kind of uh not doing much in terms of watching in the last couple weeks but um i got the omnibus right here marvel oh all those oh, oh wow it's a lot of reading i need to do more reading um, I've read a lot of those, actually, most of those. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I the only thing that sucks about those is uh, they're they're good bang for your buck, but they don't 
they like it takes so long to get through one you're just like by the time you get towards the end you're just like i want to finish this uh, yeah and plus i feel like because they're so big like you got to be careful with like how you're holding them where you can read them yeah you have to read them on a table or a desk yeah like um let's see this thor one is probably my biggest one that i have for marvel because it's a it's a first printing so it's like wow Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's thick. It's good though, very good. It's worth it. Um, yeah, that's about it for me. <laughs> so, I think that segues us out of this episode. So, yeah, thank you all so much for watching this week's episode of the Star Wars Lads podcast. If you are following our podcast, then you know we release an episode every single week. The episodes will now be coming out Friday or Saturday, depending on when we're able to record them, but they will be coming out right after the Bad Batch every single week, so so you can stay tuned for that. If you haven't noticed, last week we were posting individual segments from the show. If you prefer to watch it that way, um, those segments will be coming out periodically throughout the week, but we still encourage you to watch the full episode because that's the full experience. That's what we're really putting most of our effort into creating every single week for you. So stay out or uh, stay tuned for the new episode that's coming out every single week, mostly Fridays, but sometimes it'll have to be Saturdays. Segments will come out Saturday and Sunday after the the new episode comes out, usually about 24 hours later. We'll post some of the segments and we'll release them periodically. Uh, we do have other things just coming out randomly throughout the week. So stay tuned. A lot of like stuff from our archive of, of episodes we've released before and some new stuff we're working on. So Stay tuned. There's a lot of videos coming out, so we, it's a good, it's a good time to keep up with the Star Wars Latch channel, just constantly every day. So we are definitely moving forward to try to put out a lot more content for you as Star Wars puts out more content for us all. So uh, yeah, check our Instagram out for news, schedule updates, memes, and more Star Wars content at Star Wars Lads on Instagram. You can follow us on Instagram. We also have a Facebook, Star Wars Lads on Facebook. You can like our page there, follow us on Instagram to keep up with our social medias. If you have a comment, question, concern, suggestion, something you want us to know about the show, what you think, your opinion, whatever, send us an email, starwarsladspodcast at gmail.com. You can also DM us on Instagram, send us a message on Facebook, comment on one of our posts, let us know what you're thinking. We want to hear your feedback. Comment on this YouTube video as well if you're watching it on YouTube. And then also please like, comment, and subscribe. Your likes and your comments really help boost our video and the algorithm. And your subscriptions really help us be seen by more and more people as we continue to put this content out. And we're really trying to uh, give you guys a good show for the rest of the summer with all this new Star Wars content coming. So please help us out by liking and commenting and subscribing on our videos. But that is it. I hope you guys enjoyed this first true video episode of the star wars lads this was uh, an experiment that i think went a lot smoother than i expected (laughs) so we'll be uh probably doing this for the foreseeable future and um if you have any suggestions about ways you think we can improve it let us know and uh, we'd love to take that into account but from me and from sonic that is the Star Wars Lads podcast, episode 27. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>